The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702. Let's walk the talk. On 92.7 and 106 FM. Welcome to the Wednesday evening edition of The Money Show, brought to you by APSA CIB. Driving impactful, it's Tuesday, action-led insights through the Insight series. APSA is a registered FSP. I am completely, is it Wednesday? I can't remember. It doesn't really matter because we got fabulous. It is Wednesday because it is Wendy Wednesday. Uh, Wendy Nola, our consumer ninja, of course, uh, joining us at about 20 past seven this evening as uh, she brings us our consumer ninja feature. She is such a valuable contributor to The Money Show and to your life in terms of bringing you up to speed with what you need to know in terms of your consumer rights. It's an absolutely pivotal part of what we do on your behalf as well in terms of understanding the world in which we live. And it's so frustrating so often as we get brands that we support and then they you know bring in consultants and get all efficient and then say to us we're improving our customer service and all you have to do is phone this number etc uh, etc et and so tonight wendy is focusing on warranties particularly when it comes to motor vehicles um the warranties on your car for example absolutely pivotal that you understand the ins and outs of your motor vehicle warranty and it's a complicated thing because they also use language that is exclusionary And it's absolutely pivotal that you understand it completely. So Hendrik Tatoy, we'll catch up with him in just a moment. He is the chief executive at 91. Also tonight, Wayne McCurry, our market commentator, after inflation numbers around the world came in better than expected. Um, that is also something that we need to talk about this evening. In addition to that, the Mind Workers Investment Company buying into Pineapple, the digital insurance business. We'll pick up on that. Plus, uh, David Tor, the founder at Farrow, but better known as the founder of YouCook. Uh, he is one of these sorts of people who goes and builds businesses, builds businesses, um, and will uh, tell us about what it's like to do so in South Africa in the 21st century here on The Money Show. The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. Well, the headlines around 91 today are around about 100 billion rand in outflows from 91's portfolios for the first half missed volatility in global markets. But I do wonder what one of our most experienced managers of other people's money thinks about what is happening in markets at the moment, particularly with two of the strongest signals yet that uh, inflation is under control. Yesterday, rapidly falling U.S. inflation number was good news for markets and the JSE rocketed in value. Number in the UK today also showing a dramatic cooling in price rises. Inflation in the UK economy less than half of what it was in January. Hendrik Dutoy is the chief executive and founder of 91. And I know we have to be careful, Hendrik, about individual data points and making long-term decisions. But the data does seem to be finally suggesting that inflation may be, just maybe under control. Good afternoon, Bruce. It's 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 great news, and markets obviously uh, had a bit of a party to to celebrate this. Uh, I think one data point or one swallow doesn't make a summer, but it's quite clear that the central medicine, the central banks have given the global economy, particularly in developed markets, 
is starting to work. It's been painful medicine as well. I mean, you guys have felt it as uh, I'm sure in your operations across yeah. South Africa, across um, the UK, the US and other markets where you offer uh, investment services across the world. It's been a, a really difficult and you know, a protracted period of difficulty with interest rates remaining high for quite a long period of time. Bruce, I think in South Africa, it's actually been easier because our governor and the South African Reserve Bank was ahead of the curve kept rates high, never stimulated to the extent that the developed markets did post-COVID. So what's happened the last 18 months is we've seen rates come from 800-year lows in the developed world uh, and increasing at rate at, at a rate that I cannot remember in my time in markets. In other words, interest rates in dollar policy rate is up 22 times from the bottom. That clearly had an impact on risk on risk, uh, I haven't been around for 800 years, Bruce, but I've been around for a while. But, but I mean, the, the, the sort of impact on risk-taking has been quite significant. And, and the easy ride was park your money in a money market fund, get a, a, a juicy return yeah. that you never had before, or buy bonds, which have actually, where the yields have shot up and take a risk-free, take a free lunch. And now you can see that free lunch is actually working. The free lunch has been working. Is the free lunch over or can we still place orders? I think I think it's in as long as rates are real and one doesn't expect inflation acceleration, uh, which and I, I don't think the war on inflation is quite won yet. It's a it's an important battle that's been won. Uh, but mm-hmm. you can definitely start exposing yourself to a real interest rate, which is the first time in a long time people people experience that in the developed world. The problem with the 91 business, or the challenge we had is outside South Africa, we don't supply investment services in developed market fixed income or cash management. Those were the two areas outside private <laughs> equity that attracted yeah. most of the of the or private credit that attracted most of the flows. Um, I was just talking to a, a, a a colleague or a friend who runs a very large banking group and he says his money market funds are four times the size that he, he would have expected sure. at this point in time. So so that that explains the flow dynamic. I think what we'll, what, what one will see is 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 a broadening in markets uh, and and on and on top of that public equity performances were very, very narrow, rather constrained to the magnificent seven mm. in the US, which you could capture through index buying. Uh, and and so, again, so investors get this wrong yeah. all the time in terms of their, their timing of investments and switching yeah. in and out of investments, and we're not here about timing markets. But I find it interesting that saying you know, we, we won, there's a, big, a couple of battles being won against inflation, but the war is still very much there against inflation. What do you see as a risk for inflation? Because our own Reserve Bank and is, 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 is very cautious about so you know, think, being I, I, too aggressive on reducing rates. I think South Africa has been, you know, the, the, the challenge there is not a demand-driven uh, inflation. It's it's the fact that imported prices could be could be higher either through energy or or uh, uh, other imports. However, if one sees the dollar peak, which may may be near its peak, then. Uh, you don't have that pressure of imported inflation and all you then have to deal with is productivity issues. In the in the Western world, there has been this great productivity puzzle. Why is e- e- economic growth not 
not becoming more productive. And, and I think that's not quite answered, although a, a, a decent squeeze will probably help and, 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 and the technological developments we're seeing. So I'm not a complete inflation bear, but if I were Jerome Powell, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up too quickly. I'd rather finish the fight. And that's what what I yeah. why I'm slightly cautious about calling the top and having the champagne popping the champagne corks right now. Got you on that particular one. Talk to me about the uh, the ninety one business. Of course, ninety one. We know it's got a substantial footprint in South Africa, big one in the United Kingdom. When I last chatted to you, you were building and building quite aggressively in the United States. How are things looking on a, a your geographical spread? I think, Bruce, the, the, firstly, we've got an excellent business in South Africa, which has, again, delivered very good results in, in a tough market. Challenges in South Africa, there isn't enough wealth being created through employment that translates into pension saving. Uh, which means we have to look elsewhere in the world. And as you know, the bulk of our business is elsewhere in the world. Um, and we are you know, approximately or just under 60% of all the mandates we manage on behalf of large pension schemes globally are in the deployed in the emerging markets. And while US interest rates were rising, demand for emerging market investment was muted. And also public equities, you know, were, 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 were went more to the passive side, as I explained earlier, because of the narrow market. Mm. I think we, we will see that improving over the next uh, year to, 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 to two years. When it exactly will happen, I don't know. Uh, the good thing is our investment performances have been pretty solid, which means we will be competitive when the market comes back at us. And the interesting difference between last year or the full year to, to, to March 2023 and this half year was last year there was when interest rates were busy increasing there was a lot of de-risking happening so people were taking yeah. back capital and parking it in so-called low risk areas now this year you, the demand yeah, sorry. hasn't come back but it is slowly you can see the search activity picking up yeah. and 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 that explains <laughs> the flow position uh, uh yeah. probably the best i can is 2024 a better year in terms of investor returns? I wonder. Um, we are, can, are you feeling brave enough to record? Are you f feeling brave enough to call it? We are. We are preparing for continued difficult demand, not necessarily market conditions, but slow demand coming our way. We think that demand will pick up during the year as, as. Uh, uh, what would I would call market risk risk perceptions normalize. Uh, I mean, an interesting thing is fixed income assets have taken the bulk of flows. So those are these are developed market fixed income. Most people who bought these things lost a lot of their money because bond yields went up. Actually, emerging market local debt has outperformed, but there hasn't yet been demand because of this uncertainty around the dollar. So, yeah, I think for us, business conditions will slowly improve. Uh, I don't see a world where, where, where markets explode upwards in a one-way direction. I think it will be choppy, but we will get real returns, positive real returns. 
Hendrik Dutoy, the founder and chief executive at 91 this evening from London. Thank you, Hendrik, very much for chatting to us on The Money Show tonight. Uh, we did see stock markets have a really good day today on top of yesterday's really good day. But the word of caution from Hendrik Dutoy, which I'll test with Wayne McCurry, our market commentator, in just a bit, um, is, you know, they, you've got to listen to a guy. He's yeah, been in uh, fund management for more than three decades. Let's put it that way. Um, he was working at Old Mutual when he was hired. And if you missed the 91 podcast, the Investic and 91 podcast on the Genius Series, it should be part of your road trip package when you're building them. And everybody should have podcast road trip packages where you take your podcasts and you preload them and you, you really curate what you're going to be listening to on the way <laughs> uh, to, you, to your destination. We've got such wonderful open spaces to drive through. And um, yeah, sometimes, you know, you go through, you, you leave our broadcast areas and there's nothing else to listen to, frankly, on those vast open swathes of road. And so you can either stream us and, you know, or you can download podcasts. And the Genius Podcast Series should be one of those you're downloading. I saw this really interesting report today, and you probably picked up on it during the day, but let me remind you of it. This two-year research project carried out by the Harvard professor Ricardo Hausman, a former finance minister, if memory serves, uh, in the good old days of Venezuela. He's got the, the growth lab, and he says... Uh, in this report, that government's proposed economic reforms are unlikely to reverse the collapse of state capacity. It's going to be continually blocked by patronage, by ideology, ideology and political gridlock. So nothing we don't know. Taking Mr. Professor Hausman and his team two years to figure it out. It's the stuff that we live with each and every single day. Um, but it is important that somebody of his stature says it because government listens to people like Ricardo Hausman. He says we need new strategies. We need new instruments to get growth going and get our inclusion goals working. Um, the collapse of state capacity is a predominant driver of South Africa's weakening economic performance, he says. And he says that they found that the reform momentum unlikely to reverse the collapse because the reforms are encountering systemic, deep-seated, underlying issues. And that comes from you know, the, the patronage networks, the overburdening of state organizations. I mean, just all of the nonsense around ESCOM. We know what the problems are. Go in and sort them out. Um, and it basically is uh, preferential procurement. The scoring system used by government departments, state-owned companies, is a big, big problem for the South African economy. And uh, what uh, the report says is drivers of state collapse are absolutely in the electricity system, municipal government level, and preferential procurement is a critical component of state collapse and needs serious attention. We know this. There is no big surprise in it. Will we do anything about it in a hurry? Now that is a question. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield is brought to you by APSA CIB. Action-led insights in retail's golden quarter this Black Friday to drive collaborative impact through the APSA Insight Series. APSA is a registered FSP. The Money Show. The Markets. Wayne McCurry from Wealth and Investments at First National Bank with us this evening. I Markets are behaving like inflation is dead. Hendrik Tatoy at 91 is a little bit more circumspect. Is inflation, in your view, as good as dead, Wayne McCurry? It's on its way down. We're over the worst, hopefully, and that uh, 
we can actually expect some interest rate, well, no more interest rate increases and some cuts coming next year. And we're already starting to see forecasts about quite aggressive cuts next year, but everything's data dependent. But hopefully the worst is now behind us. The biggest scare on interest rates is now behind us. We certainly hope so. I mean, the UK inflation rate is half of what it was a, a, a year ago. The US is falling precipitously. And people have been really worried about interest rates here. And we've got a very cautious central bank and central bank governor. But it is became, going to become harder and harder to justify another increase. Can we relax about the next MPC yes. meeting yet, Wayne? Yes, we can. That, that danger's passed now. With the U.S. That's and the ridiculous. numbers that came out yesterday and the strengthening in the RAND, that danger is now past us. Thank goodness for that. Well, we certainly hope so. Any bets on when the cuts might start? We'd love cuts to start and sooner rather than later. There's some speculation that the U.S. may cut in the first quarter of next year. I'm not too sure that we're going to be that adventurous here. Well, look, the markets are anticipating a cut sort of March, April uh, overseas and yeah, and we will follow what's happening overseas. You know, so I think we will get the first cut in the first quarter um, because, you know, you always get the same narrative. No matter which cycle you're in, you always get the same narrative. Interest rates will stay higher for longer, and then they don't actually stay higher for longer. They actually come down relatively quickly. So we'll have to see, but I, I think we'll see the first cut in, you will see a cut in the first quarter, and we could see, you know, quite a few cuts going throughout the year not just one or two as a couple of predictions that I hear. And just look at the, the speed of the turnaround in investor attitude. Oh, it's better. It's on the J. It's rallied. It's, we've rallied about 10% in a month. Yes. The market can go up as quickly as what it can go down if the sentiment <laughs> changes. And remember last week we were all in, a, in quite a tiz about the comments about the Federal Reserve and how interest rates, you know, are going to maybe yeah. even go up once again. And the market took an almighty wallop. And now it's completely different less than a week later. That's the market for you. And it's more specifically the market in some sort of turning point, some sort of inflection point. Very, very volatile. And I think we're at that inflection point now, or maybe even hopefully past it, where the cycle that we've been in for two years will change. We've been in a commodity down cycle with a weak currency, a weak economy, and a weak stock market. And hopefully over the next two years, as we've spoken about often, we get exactly the opposite. Strong currency in a relatively strong economy with a good commodity cycle and a strong market. Yeah, well, hey, look, we've been waiting and we, we're patient yes. people, but I'm, 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 I'm getting bored of this now. Um, and that there is an, there's another reality here, Wayne, and that comes through in the Woolies update, it comes through in the multi-choice update, both of them feeling the pain of the consumer, the consumer feeling the pain of having less money because of what inflation has done to household finances. Um, yes. And they're making different choices with multi-choice, which is a discretionary income, and Woolies, which also is a discretionary spend people have got choices yeah look there's there's some there's some different factors in both companies i mean multi-choice is spending a fortune on on showmax to try and stay competitive against these giant streaming companies that are making huge inroads into their market they've got no pricing power uh very very difficult position what they're in they're not really growing subscribers they're not really getting revenue growth. And, of course, they face inflationary pressures like everyone else. 
end of course they face all of the problems we all know about about operating in Nigeria with the currency and everything like that. And then Willie's they've got a serious problem with their non-food business in South Africa, and that's been going on for a long time now. And they've also got a serious problem with country roads in Australia and New Zealand. So their food business wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, they did suffer some volume falls. But I think both of those companies today, there's very specific circumstances that apply to them. If you look at if you look at the companies that are winning, like Shoprite, you know they're doing well in this environment. But certainly are, and there's also an anticipation that you know certainly Wilson Bailey Homes, which we don't see in the top performers very often, it burst onto the market today. The property shares burst onto the market today because and and the banking shares. These are companies yeah. that investors anticipate will benefit from a a, a cheaper capital environment where money Correct. becomes cheaper as interest rates come down. And and so I've I've got quite a frisson of excitement for 2024. Yeah. Maybe it'll be called 2020 more. I don't know. Yeah. Every time we, we give these these years uh, every time we give these um, these years fancy names they disappoint us let's not talk about yep. 20 plenty that was a disaster but I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more upbeat today certainly than I was this time last week and I think that's justified Bruce because two things we've only been experiencing a very negative part of the cycle now that can change we often have a commodity down cycle followed by an up cycle and there's very different circumstances that prevail and secondly Despite the strong run we've seen over the last two weeks, our share market is seriously cheap. And the cheapness, is the majority of that's in the mining shares. But the good old South African banks and some of the retailers, and you know, the South African shares are truly, truly cheap. Wayne McCurry with Wealth and Investments at First National Bank. Thank you, Wayne, very much indeed. Uh, Wayne, a regular market commentator for us on a day where the all-share index on the JSE went up 1,662 points. That's a lot of points. Two and a quarter percent on top of yesterday's two and a half. Took us to over 75,000 at one point. Um, that was good to see. Um, the all-share index having a very positive day and uh, led by financials. But industrials weren't far behind. A great day for Nusbat and for Process, for the, for the building uh, company Wilson Bailey Homes and also, of course, for property shares. Not so hot uh, for multi-choice. Not so great for Woolies. Not brilliant for Kumba, which is sitting very close to 52-week highs. Understandably, a bit softer on the day. But yeah, positive across Europe, positive across Uh, the United States and also a slightly better day for the currency. That brings us to half past six. You're with Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. You know, times are really changing when you hear that the Camry is going electric. There's some pretty famous Camry drivers in South Africa until a couple of years ago. One of our regular market commentators, Norman McKechnie, was driving one. I saw Chris Skitter at one of his chicken farms, the CEO of Astral Foods, a couple of years ago, and he had his annual reports and all of his documents on the passenger seat of his Camry. And that was in the days where, you know, chicken prices were good and costs were low and there was water and electricity in the places where they grow chickens. They could have driven something else, but no, chose the Camry. Well, today we see an announcement from Toyota that the next generation of Toyota Camry, which is... Really a remarkable vehicle, and it is the best-selling sedan, believe it or not, in the U.S. market. It's going to become. Uh, it's going to come with a gas electric hybrid powertrain, so petrol and electric, so a hybrid vehicle. Um, and look, they've had hybrids for a very long time, but it's a big move by by the guys at Toyota 
because they're going to put hybrid into their biggest model. They're not going fully electric on the Camry, but the 2025 Camry will have a two and a half liter petrol engine with an electric drive system, a bit like the Prius, I suppose, just bigger and more powerful and a bit more comfortable. Um, So, yeah, Toyota uh, is taking its most popular vehicle in the United States and bringing electricity into it as well. So, yeah, times most certainly they are changing. There's a song there somewhere. I think I might write it. Coming up on your next Money Show, we've got Warren Ingram at Galileo Capital. Look at what it takes to become a successful investor in a world where there is just so much information and misinformation about how to build wealth. Pablo Fatidi is back. He is the chief executive at Auric Business Accelerator with tips for small business. We'll chat to Funny Titi at Investec and Peter Wharton Hood at Life Healthcare with their results of those companies next time on The Money Show. 702. Bruce is on The Money Show. And it's really good to be in your company this evening. They say justice delayed is justice denied. And the years-old currency manipulation saga finally getting addressed. Koki Koiman is Executive Director and Portfolio Manager, Denka Capital. Standard Chartered has admitted to currency, to RAND manipulation specifically here, Koki, and will pay a fine of about 43 million RAND. I mean, this story has been around for so long, I've forgotten when it burst onto the scene. And it just feels like it takes too long for these things to be managed and handled and for the punishments to be meted it out for those punishments and our understanding of what really went wrong to be properly managed as well. What is your thought? Yeah, uh, it, 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 it dates back to about 2013, 2015, Bruce. And, you know, the... The world was totally different then from now, um, and we still don't know if there was collusion or not, but it's incredibly difficult to prove, um, and especially uh, with the Competition Commission trying to prove that there were 28 banks involved. Now, to, to prove that, I mean, how do you, you never get 28 people in a room together, <laughs> and secondly, so they're not, they're trying to do it via emails or trying telephone calls that they were complicit with each other and and so what the banks have actually been saying that you know uh, that the competition commission haven't got enough facts they haven't got enough data to prove complicity of the 28 names uh, that that have charged and so they've gone back on appeal and that's why the, the standard charter payment now is actually quite interesting um i'm not quite sure if they admit it uh Complicity. I, I, I think normally these type of payments go without, the, without admitting to guilt, but just say sure. we're paying. And look, for Standard Charter, it's 42 million rand. It's $2 million roughly. I mean, for them, it's just to get this out of their hair and do not have to you know, keep on answering legal questions and paying attorneys. So they said, yeah, let's just pay this to get this out of our hair. That's it's my take on it. Uh, and it uh, Absolutely. And it creates the impression, however, that there was a conspiracy, that there was guilt because you don't pay, I mean, only $2 million, yes, or 43 million rand, that's proper money. Um, You don't pay that, you know, in our minds anyway, in ordinary people's minds just to make a problem go away. But this is a very different global issue, isn't it? You're being accused on on global stages of manipulating the value of a currency. That's a a serious charge. Um, And it is supposed to be this massive conspiracy. 
conspiracy with traders um, holding and withdrawing bids and allowing rivals to do their own trades. It's, you know, it's so convoluted, it sounds fanciful. I don't know if you've got any insights as to where else the authorities' investigations are leading them, whether in fact this is even half true, which would be extraordinary in itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bear in mind one other thing. I mean, the authorities have mentioned banks. And look, there, there, there was, there, there most probably was collusion. And there's a lot of collusion that takes place. And there have been a lot of ca- cases of collusion uh, on banks, in currencies, in, in markets, in, in stocks. In, but then, then often it's, it's individual dealers. It's not systemic systemic or systematic that the organization is aware of what the dealer is doing. And and again, systems have changed. Uh, now, uh, you know, the compliance will pick it up and, 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 and all uh, conversations are recorded. But, but those days were more Wild West where John would phone Peter and say, hey, Hey, Pete, I, I've, I've got this transaction. I've got to do these. Uh, I've got to transfer so much. Uh, give me a good price. And yeah, and they'll agree on a price. Now, is that collusion? Uh, and in cases, sometimes it was where they might go for a lower price. Um, but to prove that and to to prove it for 28 banks is, is difficult. For the banks, then, obviously, that's yeah. most probably that individual traders involved have moved on, uh, some of them even deceased. Um, and, and, and so I think that's why it's amazing that the Competition Commission waited so long uh, to do this. Uh, that type of case, if it happens, it should be within the next year or two. So the information is fresh, the trail is fresh, and, uh, yeah, and the guilty can be punished immediately, or at least within a five-year time frame, not a, a 13-year time frame. And I think that's, that's, that's ridiculous. there's a lot of money or time wasted investigating something that's going to be very difficult to prove. And by the time you get an outcome like this, which is a positive outcome, and I think we've seen yeah. uh, the compliance departments. I mean, I think compliance departments are the fastest growing departments in most yeah, banks certainly. because <laughs> banks are so paranoid about being caught yeah. out like this. Yeah. Well, actually, there are probably thousands of people going through minutiae of detail. It, it's one place where, where jobs are being created. They're being created because of this kind of oversight, because they don't want to be caught out. They don't want the embarrassment of being seen to be juking the system at all. Yeah, so you're totally right. It is, it's a big frustration in, in compliance, and, and, and this is throughout the system, large and small individuals. You want to open a bank account, you want to buy something. The amount of detail that the financier wants and needs, and, and you know, it doesn't necessarily add value. When, when I go to uh, at the office and I want to print something, yeah, I've, I've actually got to now go with an access card to the printer to prove that I am me <laughs> before I can print something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but okay, let's not go there. But, but you are right. And uh, so <laughs> the one good result of a lot of these investigations is yes. behavior has been curbed and, and the, uh, you know, but, but the clever guys still get away, unfortunately, with murder. You know, of but, course. But, yeah. No, absolutely, Koki. Thank you very much indeed. Executive Director and Portfolio Manager at Denker Capital. Thank you very much for coming through for us this evening. Um, good to have you on. And yeah, it's, a, it's an important point to make there that th- this has taken 13 years to get to this point and we don't have proof of a conspiracy. We have an allegation and we often see these allegations being made. The allegations make headlines. The settlements do not. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody like a standard charter goes, you know what, just 
just make it go away. Make it go away. To you and me, 43 million rand is unbelievable amount of money. To them, they're a global business headquartered in London, $2 million. Make it go away. And now it's gone. They've dealt with it. Um, other banks, however, have not. Will they settle as well? Does, is that, does that imply guilt? Maybe. Uh, but yes, that is um, I just I, I, I think um, our competition authorities and I've, I've challenged them on this before. Broadly speaking, I think it could be slicker. I think they could be quicker. I think it could be more effective because if you nip these things in the bud, you draw attention to them far more quickly and you actually deal in real time with issues. I think that would be more effective. I don't think that delaying these processes for more than a decade is useful. Mineworkers Investment Company is part of a group that has bought into Pineapple. Pineapple, the insurance people, the ads you see in weird and wonderful places. We'll pick up on that one in a moment. What are they seeing that you perhaps are not seeing as an investment opportunity? Coming up in a moment. Bruce Whitfield on The Money Show. 6 to 8 p.m. It's interesting that ad, that old mutual ad, and uh, and and you wonder why they've done it. And perhaps producers, we can just get the old mutual marketing people on. I'm curious. Um, it's the brand is old mutual. It is referred to uh, as O mutual amongst Afrikaans speaking people. And the ad, um, the lovely lady who is backed by old mutual, and they come to her, the family's aid when they need it. But she in the ad refers to it as O mutual. And that gives it a level of authenticity and uh, and warmth that perhaps it wouldn't have had an Afrikaans person been calling it old mutual. Uh, but, they, but they took a conscious decision to allow her in an English language ad to use old mutual. I, I'm just, it's one of those little curiosities. That's what I'm interested in. Curiosities. That's what we could be looking at. A lot of people bewildered by the ads around the insurance startup Pineapple. Uh, they must have hit home because the Mine Workers Investment Company is part of a grouping that's invested 400 million rand in Pineapple. The Mine Workers Investment Company taking up 70 million rand in Pineapple. And Chapo Khaula is the uh, Chief Investment Officer at MIC, the Mine Workers Investment Company. You're part of a bigger funding round of about 400 million rand in Chapo. But how much tech investing is the Mine Workers Investment Company doing in South Africa at the moment? Is this the strategy or is this something fairly new to you guys? Good evening, Bruce, and thanks for having me on your show. Um, we, it, it's fairly new for us. Um, we we uh, started our own early stage um, uh, investment vehicle called Mick Kulisani Ventures about two years ago. There are five uh, businesses uh, that we've invested in through uh, that um, uh, entity. And most of them happen to have uh, tech-enabled business models. So um, investing in technology-enabled businesses is certainly not something that is new to make. However, we are uh, backing uh, early, earlier stage um, uh, entities in the hopes of fueling their growth. 
why this one in particular? Why pineapple? A lot of people are going, hold on a second, this insure tech thing, is it a bit of a fad? Aren't there too many risks involved? People are signing up for, in two minutes. Do they really know what they're doing when they sign up? What happens when the payment happens? And we've had uh, lots of people, the guys, you know, we're, at, at Rivals have told us that they're very happy with the governance. This is part of Old Mutual, of course. It's, it's got the backing of Old Mutual Insure, uh, the Old Mutual and Federal. So you know they're doing it properly. But I, I just it's such a new area. What is giving you the confidence to put this amount of money into effectively a startup? Um, so they, they've had traction for a number of years now. So that uh, gave us um, uh, a bit more in terms of peace of mind and uh, uh, gave us uh, the assurance we needed that uh, the capital that we'd be investing would be applied towards growth and not necessarily trying to iterate that business model. So that was a big plus. Uh, we like that disruptive model. We believe that uh, it makes um, uh, financial services, in particular insurance, more accessible. I'm sure you'll agree, given the uh, storms we had but two days ago, uh, it, it is important to ensure your valuables. Uh, it, it ensures that you protect your wealth. Uh, and your assets. You're even talking uh, like an insurance guy now, Jabba. You even you you drunk the Kool Aid. You're even talking like them now. You see, you need insurance. <laughs> but yes, mm, and absolutely. it is that time. Uh, yeah. uh, we we saw it in COVID um, with the life insurance. Suddenly, people were taking out life insurance. How many people were taking out disability insurance, a critical illness benefit? Because suddenly, when that reality comes close to you, you go, "My goodness me!" Either I got stung by this, and now I've got a huge outlay, or I had a lucky escape, and I didn't have to pay, but maybe next time I will be caught in the hailstorm. So that does change your thinking, doesn't it? It really does. And given uh, the, the, the um, improvement in access, uh, we truly um, found this attractive. So the, the, the potential for impact, potential to scale this business quickly, and uh, the fact that uh, they have a strong brand and we are co-invested with very strong partners was truly attractive to us. Uh, they're quick to sign up. So you can sign up on these insure tech platforms in two minutes. I wonder, though, that if something better comes along, people don't leave just as quickly. I don't know. What sort of brand loyalty have you looked into here as to how sticky customers are when they sign up on these on these platforms? That was a key consideration for us, Bruce. And indeed, the churn rate, if we can call it that, is relatively um, low, uh, particularly okay. for... Uh, um, a business that uh, has been around uh, for not as long as Old Mutual. I heard you referring to Old Mutual uh, uh, earlier. Um, And that does speak to the fact that not only do they have brand loyalty, but they they deliver the trust that their policyholders are looking for. And they honor the claims uh, that uh, uh, get get initiated by the policyholders. So certainly a brand we are proud to be associated with and look forward to, uh, we hope, uh, incredible growth over the next couple of years. Njabwe, thank you. Njabwe Khawole is the Chief Investment Officer at the Mine Workers Investment Company, a 70 million rand investment going into that uh, insurtech business called Pineapple. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702. Let's walk the talk. On 92.7 and 106 FM.
Welcome to the Money Show on this Wednesday evening. I've got it right this time. Uh, earlier on, I was getting my, my days of the week a little bit confounded. Uh, it's brought to you by those nice people at APSA CIB. APSA, of course, is a registered FSP, a financial services provider. Coming up in this half hour of the show, we're going to be uh, doing business unusual. We've got Graham Codrington standing by. Uh, Graham is an expert on management and leadership uh, and, and really distilling future trends and he's got a really interesting one for us this evening a little bit spooky as well wendy nola coming through and then david tor the founder of multiple businesses most famous for you cook which he in, uh, invested in and then sold out of and has moved on to other things so i'm curious as to how that is going for him here on the money show the money show business unusual uh, did you hear the, the the new song from the Beatles? The Beatles, the Beatles. Remember the Beatles? Business Unusual brought to you by Bidvest Bank. Bidvest Bank, built for your business. And it's the latest song for the Beatles. Um, have a listen to this. Do? No? We're not playing Beatles? Oh, that's sad. Um, yeah, the same guys who took the world by storm 50 years ago have got a new hit. And two of their members are dead. Yes, John Lennon, George Harrison, no longer with us. But the Beatles have got a new song out. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Graham Codrington, the futurist and partner, tomorrow today is with us. And Graham, um, how did the Beatles publish a new hit in 2023, two decades after George Harrison died and four after John Lennon was shot and killed? That's a little bit of miracle of science, isn't it? Uh, it is a little bit, Bruce. Good, good evening. Uh, what happened was uh, there was a recently a documentary. Many people might have seen it, uh, uh, I think, on Netflix, other channels maybe as well. And during the documentary, when they were digging around for some archive material, they discovered literally a cassette tape. Somebody decided to listen to it. And there was John Lennon recording just some ideas for a song. And one of them was this almost fully formed song called Here and Now, but it had his voice, uh, it had the gu guitar on it, and using the power of, uh, I think AI is probably stretching the label, but it's the label that we use, using these new technologies that allow us to sample people's voices and then create deep fakes uh, that you and I have spoken about before. They've, I think, put it to good use this time and uh, allowed us to get the song that John Lennon himself had written and then bring all the other Beatles in, uh, as you say, dead and alive. Um, and in fact, people should go and watch the music video, which is available on YouTube. It's just brilliantly done uh, as they bring old and new Beatles together. In, in, yeah. in, in if you didn't know, uh, it, it really is a remarkable thing to see. So Beatles fans, there is one final Beatles song isn't that remarkable it is absolutely lovely i mean a, a queen has tried to they've got to hired a new singer to try and replace freddie mercury and it's not working well but i've seen footage for example of of, of queen on stage with the videos of freddie mercury singing sort of beamed up and then trying to sort mm. of create that impression and i think that works quite well so you, you're able to sort of revisit glory days of remarkable musicians but i wonder whether or not these similar tools can be used to create digital replicas of other musicians other artists from the past. I mean, it creates all kinds of possibilities, doesn't it? 
Yes, and uh, we could spend the next hour talking about the ethics of this, but let's just park that for some side. It's a, it's a Wednesday night, so we'll just look at it from an artistic perspective. <laughs> if 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 you're a great Beethoven fan, or you uh, you know a, a Nina Simone fan, I'm just picking you know the genres at at, at uh, you know plucking them out of the air now. But if you're a real fan of that genre, and you think well. That music legacy is now, it's fixed, it's frozen in time because that person is no longer with us. Well, what happens if it wasn't? A young person might come along and learn that style and mimic that style, and, but that's different. That's a cover band or a tribute. But what happens if using the technology we are developing at the moment, some of this digital replica technology, we were genuinely able to make something that... It, I, I don't know I, even what word we would use. It's not really fake, but it obviously isn't the person themselves. But no. it is very much their spirit and their their artistic uh, oeuvre that's coming through. And I, yeah, it's a great conversation piece for people to have. I'm not sure I've decided yet whether I'd like it or not, but I do like the new Beatles song. And it's lovely. I and mean, you wonder whether you could do the same for anyone i mean it's just uh this you could get oh, I don't know, dead relatives <laughs> Some, you, you well just, bruce let, um, let me freak you out it, just a little bit I, how do we do, sorry I, I, I think this will freak people out uh there's there was a company that was started called replica spelt with a k instead of a c and when they initially started their idea the idea that they went to uh, Silicon Valley for funding for, um, and this is really the business unusual part of it tonight, is they said, if you've got, and they specifically referenced grandparents, but I suppose it could be uh, anybody who's passed away. If you have recordings of them speaking, and then you have documentation of their writing. So you might have journals or letters or uh, things that they've written. They would take those, they would use these digital replica tools and they would create a kind of chat GPT version of your uh, relative who had passed on and you could interact, ask questions, engage and their view was they could do it in such a way that it really felt as if it was the person. I think this is getting closer to something I, I, I feel very yeah. weird about, but unusual, it no doubt. It is strange. Yeah, absolutely, it is strange. I mean, you wonder whether we could, and, and this is truly from grave, if you like, but there are people with big enough egos, I think, to want to co continue to exist virtually, even if they're not here physically. You could imagine people. I mean, the, the old legend of Walt Disney having himself cryogenically frozen so that he'd be brought back to life one day. Um, whether that, you know, how true that is, I don't know, but that was one of the, the urban myths I grew up with. I sort of wonder if people would do virtual versions of themselves, the founder of the company sort of sitting in the boardroom long after they're gone, still intervening, uh, from, apparently from the afterlife, but actually it's all being done with AI. It's kind of weird. It is weird, but the point is we've arrived at a moment. It's essentially the one-year anniversary of ChatGPT being launched, and, and that then has produced a whole host of uh, similar products. I won't call them copycats because I think a lot of people have been working on the underlying technology for many, many years. But this time last year, ChatGPT arrived fully formed uh, in the world, became the fastest uh, app uh, in, in terms of getting to 1 billion and then 2 billion users. 
And of course, now just a few weeks ago, uh, you've got Copilot being launched by Microsoft. Just yesterday, I think, uh, was it Samsung or one of the others uh, released another one? Uh, Elon Musk got, has got his beautifully named Grok um, AI. So there's lots of options now. And a lot of these have got the functionality to be able to at least sound human and sound like a particular human. So again, we can put the ethics conversation to one side. If somebody says, I'd like to be immortalized in the machine, uh, they obviously over the next few years, it'll get better and better. But even today, I think they have the potential to do that. Whether we want them to do that or not, those of us who remain behind, well, as you say, uh, would we really want the CEO to live on uh, in a chat GPT bot um, and manage the company from beyond the grave? Probably not. But it's possible and it's a conversation maybe yeah. some companies are going to have to have. Oh, what a dreadful conversation. Oh, but this was a lovely conversation. But that conversation is a dreadful conversation. Graham Godwin, always very good with conversations. Futurist and partner at Tomorrow Today. Would you want yourself immortalized as bot? And what happens with bot? The bot changes. And yes, it's your voice, it's your persona, potentially your character, whatever you've left behind that has allowed the machine to learn about you. Does it remain static or does it evolve in the same way as you might have evolved? Certainly, it would evolve differently to the way you would have evolved and with not very much time it will no longer be representative it's kind of weird it's very strange uh, and graham codrington bringing us um, from the 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 weird and wonderful world of technology the things that are possible the things that are likely for people to experiment with graham codrington this evening futurist and partner at tomorrow today when business challenges rise, so do we. Because yahe kuningi. Luckily, Bidvest Bank is a bank built out of business. So, customizable services come naturally. And once we get to know you, your ambitions, and the seasons of your business, we can tailor the efficiencies and solutions that help turn your income into the outcome your business needs. Visit bidvestbank.co.za to learn more. Bidvest Bank. Banking built for your business. An authorized FSP and registered credit provider. The Money Show. Consumer Ninja. We'll get to Wendy Nola in just a moment. I see the human rights lawyer Richard Spur has filed an application uh, for class action against Exaro, the latest mining company in his crosshairs. He's representing former miners that have got health complications that are probably linked to their work conditions. That, that certainly is what Richard Spur is alleging, a bit like the South 32 action anglo American American group uh, is saying that Xara failed to implement necessary safety measures and that led to avoidable harm of employees. So um, you, you, the, the companies which behaved in particular ways over many, many years are now being held to account and shareholders of those firms today are paying for sins of the past. Wendy Nola coming up in just a moment. The Money Show. Consumer Ninja. Wendy Nola is our consumer ninja. You might be one of those people who registers the warranty on every product you buy and you keep the slip and you keep the invoice and you keep the little warranty, proof of warranty and the box and the packaging just in case something goes wrong, especially big ticket items, big ticket items like cars. And I suspect Wendy Nola, our consumer ninja. So, so Wendy, talk to me about uh, warranties and cars because I'm sure car warranties are a thorny, thorny topic. And this is a, a different uh, take. Something 
not run of the mill. I get lots of uh, warranty complaints, but this is about. I've had a few cases where people have bought a brand new car, happy, happy, out the box. People always say out the box, brand new, not just new. And of course, when you do that, you don't inherit somebody else's car dramas. You don't have to worry about being, there being some concealed accident damage. And you have the benefit of full manufacturer's warranty. And in the case of premium cars, you get a motor plan as well. And all of that covers you for mechanical issues and services for five or six years, depending on, on the brand, right? You wouldn't think that you'd have to check the start date of the warranty or the maintenance plan on the documentation that you're signing because, you know, it should start the day that you drive off of the car, the day yeah. you sign the paperwork. But I promise you I've had few, quite a few cases which tell me you absolutely must check that date. And here's why. It could very well that motor plan and warranty have been activated a few months previously which means that instead of getting the full five or six years, you're going to get changed by a few months, which means that you could miss out on that last free service. Or in those last few months, Murphy's Law, some major mechanical drama happens, and uh, you want to claim on the warranty, and you get told, sorry, your warranty's already expired. By which stage is a bit late in the day to start fighting it. So I've had a few case studies. Um, just quickly, uh, Ronnie bought a new Mercedes a C-Class uh, from a KZN uh, dealership in February of 2018. Um, it came with a six-year maintenance plan, which should have only expired next February. But in June this year, when he started making inquiries about paying extra to extend it for another two years, he was told, no, 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 it was first registered in October 2018, uh, uh, not um, uh, sorry, October 2017, not February 18 when he bought the car. Um, and he was really worried. He tried to raise it with the dealership. Um, the finance and insurance person never got anywhere. His emails were not being answered. That's when he came to me. I took it up with the city's Benz, and after a while, they said, no, put me onto the, the dealership franchise's big boss. who said it was the first he'd heard of it. He apologized profusely, said everything failed, failed Ronnie. Um, they came up with a, a, a plan that Ronnie agreed to. So he's getting, he's only paying half price for the two-year extended maintenance plan. And um, what happened? Nobody knows. The dealership bigwig said, I've gone through the deal file. I've looked at everything. There's no logic to it. I don't know. And then Philip bought a new Volvo from a Cape Town dealership in October 2021, two years ago. Um, but he found out that, um, again, warranty and motor plan was activated three months earlier. And I found out when I took up that case, I won't go into all the details, but it was the car was previously sold to another customer. And Bruce, this is the most common scenario. So everything's done. And when it's sold, they have to activate all the, all the manufacturers or the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, have to activate that warranty system when the deal is signed. But this guy pulled out, or could have been a woman, um, so when Philip came along a few months later, they say they told him about the warranty issue. He denies it. But I mean, if you think about it, why would you agree to it unless you're getting a whack of a discount, which he didn't? Um, exactly. In any, yeah. in any event, the, um, that's also been put right. The, the warranty and motor plan have been uh, uh, put back to when they should have to October 20. 
26th, not, they're not going to run out in uh, three months earlier. So he will not be prejudiced at all. All of which leads to, and I mean, there have been other cases, but they're similar, right? Um, so it all leads up to my key advice, which is, um, along with everything else you should check uh, when buying a car, the list is long. Don't assume anything. Don't assume because you're buying a brand new car and you're the first registered owner, as both of these chaps were, that your warranty and, and motor plan, if your car comes with one, um, weren't activated three, six, whatever months earlier for whatever reason and that you, you know, you will be shortchanged as a result. I mean, I just found this astonishing, uh, uh, Bruce. Um, seems like a small thing, but it's the financial so implications are it huge. so, so cheeky absolutely because you know i don't know how many people actually have to use the warranty i've had one car in a long period of time where actually there was a warranty and something did go wrong and it all worked out absolutely fine so i've you know got a newfound respect for warranties but when you're paying for something and you're paying for it in full you anticipate it goes from the moment that you're paying for it to the moment it says it expires and if it has got a you know and in that process of buying something as complicated as car and you're dealing with insurances and you're dealing with tax discs and you're dealing with all sorts of other issues um, and, and the bank and getting the finance and all of the things that you need to do plus the excitement and the new leather smell all of that stuff yeah. um, it's not something that is going to be at the top of your uh, at the top of your mind and um, a dishonest motor dealer is going to try and snip one past the goalie and you know has succeeded it would seem in in some cases yeah, it's very unfortunate. And as you know, in both these cases, they picked it up way down the line, which is then quite difficult. You know, that the salesman's left. In both cases, I think that was the case. The salesperson is left, um, and nobody can give you answers. And I think what Ronnie's case also, I mean, at least the, the, the franchise, um, uh, the head of the franchise was very, he spent several paragraphs in his response saying, we messed up, this should never happen have happened in the first place, but also that Ronnie shouldn't have had to have sought external help to sort this out. He says everyone should have a direct, all our customers should have a direct line to the decision makers. Um, and I'm going to, I'm very gratifying. He said, I, I'm going to, you know, not just fix this particular issue, but I'm going to make sure that everybody in the dealership, you know, throughout from top to bottom, know that if somebody has a problem and it's, it's a tricky one like this, bring it to the, to the C-suite. Let us have a look at it. Don't let them have to go and get help from an external source. And in, in this case, it was me. But um, and ha- happily, I was able mm. to to get it sorted. But um, but he was just being left, you know, ignored, basically ghosted, which is compounds the issue, uh, the original problem. So yeah, uh, just a, just a little thing. Just check that date. Um, I've had too many cases over the years where. Um, the date has not been the date that you've actually signed the deal and driven away in your brand new car. Fabulous guidance. Thank you, Wendy Nola, our consumer ninja on The Money Show on a Wednesday night. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Uh, shapeshifter this evening is David Tor, who started You Cook, and we've chatted about, of course, Farrow before. Farrow is what they call a a re-commerce business, and it tries to make fashion more affordable, but at the same time deal with the really difficult issues uh, around the wastage of textiles and the landfill issues around textiles as well. 
David Tour, let's go back a little bit in history, if you don't mind, and uh, just talk a little bit about you, Cook, because as far as I can tell, you're still on the board of you, Cook. You're still actively involved there in an advisory capacity, even though you sold out, what, 18 months ago now? Yeah, that's the, that's it, Bruce. Um, uh, yes, yeah, still involved in you, Cook. Um, I think, you know, the business continues to do good things under Silvertree's management, still very, very close to the team on that end. Um, and, you know, kind of, I guess, pleasantly watching from afar as it kind of continues to evolve. <laughs> But I'm very pleasantly excited watching, to be in a new Pleasantly and- watching from afar. Sorry, <laughs> pleasantly watching from afar. Was packing boxes with precise levels of ingredients just beginning to get to you? You know what? I think, um, I think as entrepreneurs, we're always looking for kind of new levels. Um, and I think you cook, we did, you know, incredibly well. And I think managed to innovate in a space that kind of didn't exist before we before we kind of, I guess, took the scene. But, but you know, inevitably, it, it was a business that was speaking to a, a, a very, very small kind of part of the population. And, um, you know, there were really, really kind of big businesses and, and Woolworths and Checkers and all these other guys that were coming into, into the space with, with far more money than we had. And um, I think it, it, it definitely felt like the right time to exit. I think we you know, myself and, and the rest of the management team had, had managed to build pretty substantial, um, you know, sp- substantial revenue off of, off of reasonably um, menial in, in investments. And um, yeah, super, super, I guess, um, appreciative for the learnings and all that you could afforded me, but, but incredibly excited to be in a, a new and, and uh, you know, challenging space. Was you cook your first big entrepreneurial venture? Well, it was a small entrepreneurial venture that became a much bigger entrepreneurial venture that earned you twelve million dollars yeah. <laughs> when you sold out to Silvertree. So it became quite substantial. But was that the first real entrepreneurial venture that you embarked on? You know, that's an interesting question. I think, um, I mean, if it, the first real entrepreneurial venture, I mean, if I look back on my, if I look at my kind of early childhood, I was kind of selling firecrackers at school. I mean, maybe that was my kind of first official entrepreneurial, uh, you know, venture. I think I've always been, I've always been kind of looking for opportunities and kind of trying to spot the gap. You know, I was involved in, in an events business, I think kind of just before Yukuk launched, but I, I'd say Yukuk was definitely the mo- you know, the first, um, you know, entrepreneurial venture that was kind of sustainable and meant something. Yeah. Um, I've obviously subsequently done a bit in payments, a bit in cosmetics, and now I find myself in, in off-price fashion. So no real rhyme or rhythm yeah. there. Uh, or any kind of sense of logic. I think all of these spaces are no, quite different. There, there, is a, but, um, there is a rhyme and there's a rhythm. There's a, there's a hustle. There's a sense that actually you, you like to transact, that you like to give something to people and they give you money. I mean, there's, there's rhyme and there's rhythm there. Yes. I, I wonder whether you <laughs> would, when people say to you, you know, the entrepreneurial journey and stuff, and clearly it's in your blood because it starts early, it starts in the playground, it starts in illicit uh, dealings in explosives. Um, <laughs> micro-explosives, um, but it, it's, it suggests to me that, I mean, if, if it's in your blood, do you actively encourage children in your life or in your broader, wider sort of social circles life to say to them, go, go out and do it, go out and learn what it is to have something and sell it for a profit, understand that principle, yeah. because it is a principle that is the thing that will make or break our country ultimately is that ability for more people to understand a profit margin, understand what it takes to start a business, yeah. understand what it takes to run a business, because we're not going to solve this from a corporate perspective, you know? 
So I think it's a great, I think it's a great question. Look, I think um, I would agree. I think building, building, uh, you know, kind of building marketplaces and, and, and kind of increasing the economic flow is really the only way to, to kind of truly stem poverty. Um, if I would, you know, do I wish entrepreneurial kind of pursuits upon, you know, everyone that I meet. And, and I mean, I, I probably end up, you know, talking about business far too much and I'm often a kind of pest at, at the dinner table. But, um, you know, look, it, it's not for everyone. I think, uh, it comes with kind of extreme highs and lows. You know, you, you really, really wade through the kind of quagmires of, of kind of self doubt and all sorts of other things. I think that's always kind of part of the journey. So, so I think. It's, it's definitely a great kind of instrument for economic upliftment, but it's not, definitely not something that I think is for everyone. And I think that's also completely okay. Um, you know, I, I think I am overly ambitious, but also quite insecure. If I actually look at where my entrepreneurial energy comes from, I think it comes from a place of needing to kind of constantly validate externally. You know, if I'm, if I'm looking at the mirror and being honest, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not always just kind of ambition and wanting to be more. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, you know, comes from a place of lack. Uh, I, I know, I don't know about, I mean, again, I can't speak for you, but I, I, a lot of people I speak to, particularly in the early days, this insecurity is very real. That, that sort of sense yeah. of like, does anybody actually want what I'm doing? I love what I'm doing and I know that <laughs> I would love to receive this box of ingredients and I'm, then I would love to have a recipe. I would love, to, I would love for somebody to, to, to do all the hard work for me. Yes, absolutely. I would love that. But why would anybody else want that? Nobody else would want this. Nobody could, could yeah. possibly. And, Actually, globally, whether it be Gusto or Yukok or any one of the other services around the world, in busy, busy worlds, you know, people love solutions. And it strikes me that yes. you're in, if there's a rhyme, and you're looking for a rhyme and a rhythm here, <laughs> you, 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 you provide solutions yeah. to people for their problems, which is what small businesses really should be all about. Completely. Look, I can, one thing I can say is that there's no joy like watching an early stage venture take take to market and actually start finding a customer. I mean, I, I maybe, I, you know, I, I don't have children as of yet, but it's like watching a child walk for the first time. So there is a lot to be said around, you know, if you've got the kind of guts and, you, and you're kind of brave enough to, to put it all on the line, because that's really what it does feel like. Um, there's, there's no, I think, real joy, like, like watching something starting to take shape and form and kind of like that, you know, the little seedling that breaks through the soil for the first time. It, it really is joyous. You you say that you the you the possessed by insecurity. Is it the insecurity that your idea isn't good <laughs> enough, or your execution's not good enough, or that the idea's not going to land? Are you one of those people who lies awake at two o'clock in the morning between two and four, which is I think yes. a traditional wide awake time of going? Have I done everything? Yes, I'm complete. I'm completely obsessive, Bruce. It's I'm, I'm haunted and plagued by whatever I'm kind of currently busy with. It doesn't leave my side. It's like a quiet silent specter that's kind of always a you know a foot, a foot away so so you know precisely that is that necessary do you think for success do you think it's necessary to be that obsessive and be actually i mean ultimately potentially prejudice your health um be, if it persists sure. for a long period of time well i think i think you just have to look at the you just have to look at the people that have managed to really really make something um, you know, to, to build extraordinary businesses. And if you look at the, if you drill down into the human characteristics, um, you know, of the people at the helm, I think you'll always find 
someone that's obsessive to the point that it's unhealthy. I mean, uh, you know, you look at, at any, you know, be it Jobs or, 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 or Musk or Bezos or Zuckerberg or any of these big kind of, you know, titanic success stories. I think obsession and, and you know, absolute relentless persistence <laughs> is, is probably right up there with intelligence. Yeah. That's the Bezos word. I mean, it, it's the word that comes up, the adjective that comes up most often in Jeff Bezos's shareholder letters is this relentlessness. Everything is about relentlessness. And I don't know if we truly understand the meaning of the word until you've tried to run something yourself and create something and build something that the, the true meaning of the word relentless, it is never letting up. It is never going to let you go. It is never going to give you peace uh, because you're consistently, if you're doing it properly, obsessing about it because it's got to be right. And it doesn't just, you know, getting it right doesn't happen by itself. Completely. I think, I think the Japanese, um, you know, have said it best. There's a uh, philosophy called Kaizen, which is this continuous improvement. So the, the obsessive yeah. focus on kind of min minute details that, that if, you know, when they're aggregated, have this incredibly powerful and prolific net effect, the small kind of incremental gains that you make wherever you can consistently, every minute, every day, every week, every month, that over time just give you this overwhelming advantage. So, so completely. We're talking to David Tall this evening. David founded Yukuk, sold it, is still on the board, is still engaged. We've chatted to him in the past about his re-commerce business, and that is the business of Pharaoh Africa. We'll get on to that in just a moment, plus a little bit of more personal stuff too. The Money Show is brought to you by APSA CIB, driving impactful action-led insights through the Insight Series. APSA is a registered FSP. For anybody who missed the chat around Faro and what's happening with Faro and re-commerce and trying to reduce textile waste, it's another one of those big noble projects of doing something to provide affordable fashion in a market where people are brand obsessed, where people um, know what they're like and need to be taught perhaps that they can buy good quality for less and it can still be cool. But again, you're pushing up big stone up a hill, aren't you, when you're trying to convince people that they need to think differently about the way they clothe themselves and treat the environment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. David Tor, our shapeshifter this evening. And uh, just saying before the break, David, you, you, you like businesses that require a mindset change amongst customers, people who don't realize that they're missing out on something, people that don't realize that things can be done differently or done better. Uh, and you've done that again, I think, with Faro Africa, haven't you? Thanks. Yeah, Bruce, I think uh, I like the framing, by the way. That's uh, I should, you know, I should I should put that one in my CV. Um, so, <laughs> no, no, look, I, I think I think Faro. Farrow is a business that's solving, I guess, problems for, for kind of two stakeholders. So on one end, you've got this kind of waste problem that brands have. Um, you know, brands abroad specifically have the problem, um, you know, in, in, and we're able to solve that for, for them in quite a special way because a lot of the marketplaces and brands don't really want to be trading their kind of overstock and returns back into primary markets because it kind of cannibalizes trade. So. So we're building this kind of, you know, non-erosive solution for them to distribute overstock. We're eliminating the need to incinerate for product to end up in landfill. We're making sure that kind of garments end up, you know, finding a home. We're also working with, with, with local 
with local kind of fashion, you know, brands and outlets. So if there are any local brands listening, please get in touch. We'd love to source locally as well. And then for consumers, I think, you know, there's, there's no secret that the macroeconomic conditions at the moment are, you know, are not, not fantastic. And I think the kind of bottom of the economic pyramid is really, really feeling that, that pinch. So we're, I guess we're enabling a a kind of um, a an upscaled um, kind of uh, per- purchase experience for people that are wanting to buy, uh, you know, fashionable garments but don't have the necessary funds to buy full price retail. We're also focusing on elevating the shopping experience itself. I want people to walk into Farrow and not to feel poor. I want them to walk into Farrow and feel like. The small details from the lighting and the decor and the quality of the changing rooms and the level of service in the environment is, is elevated, is a, is a whole notch above what they're currently used to and experiencing at the moment. So, so Pharaoh is looking to, a, is looking to, to, I give, make fashion and, you know, fashion brands accessible within the, the kind of like lower economic rung. But it's also, it's also about, you know, creating a, an experience that leaves people feeling Kind of worthy, um, and and that's something that I think is you know to an extent a miss in the in, in that kind of uh, you know in that retail uh, sector at the moment. Yeah, I mean, are you the sort of person who you know spends time on a project, gets it going, and then goes, okay, what's next? Um, I wouldn't say a short attention span because that is more negative, but it's a case of like you you like the cut and thrust of the startup, you like the getting down and dirty, you like the figuring out of the nitty gritty of the obstacles and the problems and the kinks and all of those sorts of things that happen in the startup phase of a business. And then you need to start doing things like corporate governance and actually going to committees. And it gets quite dull um, if you're not wired that way. I wonder, uh, I wonder if you sort of, you're destined to, I don't know, start five, 10, 15, 20 things in your time. Wow. It's interesting. You know, Bruce, if I, you know, I was just saying to, to Will, my co-founder the other day, um, we are, you know, we are, we are very much, you know, we're really, really kind of throwing the whole kitchen sink at this. The level of energy and investment and kind of soul commitment is, is, is very much there and it's incredibly sapping. So, I mean, I'd love to think that I have the energy to start 20 ventures in my life, but, but I definitely feel, feel myself aging. I don't have the kind of same capacity for, you know, constant old kind of you? investment that what? I did when I was 32, 33. I'm 33. But a pup. 33. But a pup. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm broken. laughs> um, but no, look, I think, I think I, I see, I think Farah's, you know, the, the opportunity for scale here is immense. Um, you know, I think we can build a really, really substantial business that, that, you know, that, that kind of affects positive change, which is obviously very important as well. Specifically within this consumer space is kind of conscious, conscious consumerism is, is really the, the, you know, I guess kind of name of the game at this point. So, so no, I see myself sticking around here. I'd like to build a really, really kind of substantial business. Will I exit? I think, I think it's a very, very hard question to answer. And I think I'm kind of opportunistic. You know, I think I'm always going to be looking for, yeah. for what uh, suits my current, current set of circumstances best. And right now I'm, I'm dead focused on building, you know, scale, but in a sustainable way, making sure that the, the kind of economics check out as well, because I think the current, Investment climate is one that favors businesses that have, you know, an accretive set of economics where we're not in the, the kind of, you know, pump and dump, uh, I guess kind of era yeah. anymore. So, 
so yeah, I, I see myself sticking it out, in, you know, for for the for the foreseeable future for sure. And I and I hope Farrow really really hits the heights that we all think it can. Yeah, and it's an exciting environment. I mean, it, it really is because there's, there are so many problems in the world, our world. I mean, there's lots of difficulties, lots of problems to solve. Uh, and, and I, and I, and I like that. I mean, people who do the kind of thing you do are either obsessed. They're Elon Musk and they get a bed at the office and they stay there. And, you know, they, 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 they truly are obsessive to a point of, of, of uh, bad health. Um, and, and huge negativity. I, I wonder whether you have a life outside of the fun of startup and i use the term fun quite interesting <laughs> yeah no look I, I i do i mean i've got a i've got a lovely girlfriend i've got great friends i mean i think i'm not probably not as attentive to the rest of my life as i should be um i think there's definitely a kind of disproportionate commitment and level of focus that's tied to 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 Faro and and kind of previous business ventures, but but I think that's absolutely essential. You know, I think um, you know as we kind of get older and and we realize that you know <laughs> life is a finite thing, and one day it kind of disappears. I think it's it's super important to to find you know time and energy to to you know to enjoy yourself and and yeah, just kind of uh, you know find uh, be mesmerized by the other things that are lighter and you know not as as heavy. Um, so sure, I, I definitely have a, a bit of a life outside of, of Pharaoh. Maybe, maybe not as, as full a one as I should have, but, but it's definitely there. Uh, Adrian Gore in the Genius Podcast series, and uh, I was interviewing him at Gibbs, and we did a, a wonderful live studio thing uh, a while back now as part of the, the launch of the book and, and the podcast series. And he was just saying at the age of 27 and a half, when he launched Discovery, he was impatient. He knew he was running out of time. He felt he was running out of time. And most people at the age of 27 and a half have, haven't yet decided what they're going to do with their lives. And here's a guy in partnership with RMB at the time, big investment bank. He's a little guy without a customer and he's going to launch something and he's got a baby in his baby in his arms he's holding his daughter on the beach at clifton and he's going what are we doing what am i doing i'm running out of time i'm impatient i've got to do this uh, you seem to be afflicted by the same i don't know if it's a, a blessing or a curse <laughs> i think i think that is super, i think it's very interesting and it's not something that i've ever kind of thought about but but i think you're, you're pointing at something that's probably very very real and present in most kind of ambitious people, which is this kind of impatience, this sense of urgency, this need to make stuff happen now, this feeling that the clock is ticking away. Um, I definitely have that. I mean, every single day, I mean, we took some time getting up the first store and sitting for two months while there was no transactions flowing and there was this kind of period, this necessary lull whilst we were preparing everything (laughs) was absolutely torturous. So, no, I completely relate to that. Yeah, it's just the thing where money's leaving and there's no nothing coming in the front door and you you realize that you've got to start getting some customers involved. Do you do black fun stuff as well? I mean, yes, businesses and building businesses, Elon Musk describes the process of building businesses as you know, fun and terror and, and, and hatred all the time. But I, I wonder if you if you read, if you travel, if you uh, collect. Stamps, yes. Yeah. W- what is it? <laughs> OK, so. um so uh, an embarrassing but very real kind of pastime that I possess, and I'm not going to kind of go into too much detail here because it is an embarrassing one and trying to explain it will take a very long time. But 
I, I, I have a, there's a training card game that I play called Magic the Gathering, which is, you know, almost as nerdy as it gets. So I do that. I, uh, I do, I, I walk a lot. I hike a lot. I, you know, not so long ago, I did a six week multi-day hike from Cedarburg to Otaniqua and back, which was, uh, you know, an incredible experience. I love traveling. I feel like I haven't, you know, I haven't kind of done enough of it recently. I, you know, in my kind of formative years, leaving, leaving school, I did four years, you know, in a whole, about 16 different countries. So, so I really do love traveling, but I'm not doing it enough. And then I also, I also really just enjoy kind of connecting with kind of good friends and, you know, playing a board game like Catan or whatever else and having a good glass of wine. So I, you know, definitely have a myriad of interests. Um, and then, you know, reading for sure. Um, you know, I'm either listening to a podcast or I'm reading something. Uh, right now I am reading a book called Discipline is Destiny by Ryan Holiday, which is, mm. which is interesting. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, it's a little bit of a dense read. It does feel a little bit like this kind of self-flagellating, um, you know, this whole thing that, you know, it's just about the grind and, you know, learn to in- appreciate the climb and kind of all of that Love stuff, which is, which is good. Yes. And I think, you know, <laughs> temperance has a place, but, but, uh, I guess it wouldn't be a, a book I'd recommend in a, in a, uh, in a flash. No, but I mean, I mean, there's an irony in that as well. A guy called Ryan Holiday talking about discipline being destiny. There's something gorgeous in that. <laughs> David, uh, thank you. What a wonderful chat and lovely to catch up with you this evening here on The Money Show. David Tor, the chief executive and co-founder at Faro.